If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, you're going to meet Andrew Bialecki, co-founder and CEO of Klaviyo, a leading customer data and marketing automation platform. Klaviyo paves the way for entrepreneurs to utilize data and email to form personal connections with their customers at internet scale. Since launching in 2012, Andrew has led the company to serve more than 275,000 brands who rely on the platform to deliver the same personalized customer experience online that is enjoyed in-store. Today, Klaviyo is a rapidly growing marketing automation platform used by some of the world's biggest brand names. Last year, Klaviyo generated over $28 billion in revenue for its customers, and Klaviyo was most recently valued at $9.5 billion. Prior to Klaviyo, Andrew served as Chief Technology Officer at Rock Tech and a Lead Engineer at Applied Predictive Technologies. He earned his bachelor's degree in physics, astronomy, and astrophysics from Harvard University. And with that, let's welcome Andrew. Let's just start from the beginning. Let's talk all about Klaviyo and what you built. Go back to the early days. What was the original idea? And then talk through what that first year or two looked like getting the business stood up. First, thanks for having us on, Alexa. Klaviyo's goal is to build software that lets all of us, people, entrepreneurs, businesses, be ourselves at internet scale. Um, and we're, we're really trying to do that because I think there's so many people that are creators out there. They're content creators. They're product creators. Uh, they're building businesses. And it's like, how do we empower more of them to take ownership of their destiny? So ownership for us is one, like the internet is this, is, as I look at it, is like this awesome network that like connects all of us, right? So you and I can talk, even though we're not in the physical same space. Um, but the problem is there's a whole bunch of internet gatekeepers. And it's like, how do we like rest back control? So like that when people are creating it, there's not a big internet tax, right? So that's one part of ownership. And the other part is honestly just what I think technology is always supposed to be about, which is just making things easier for people. Um, so for the first two years, that was the idea is how do we build this like brain for, you know, that can kind of like augment you, has everything you know about all the people you care about. So in the case of a business, that's customers. Um, and then how do we connect that to this medium email and make it totally dynamic? And when we started, you know, it was all like, I mean, personalization on the internet basically meant, you know, dear John, dear Sally, like that's as good as it got. And we were like, I think we can do way better than that. Yeah. So that's where we started. What did the world look like then? What like describe to people what people knew about their customers, what segmentation, what what data we actually had? Yeah, you know, let's just take email, right? As a as a medium. There were basically two ways you did it. Either one, uh, you'd spend time like handwriting notes. I think about like, you know, writing like holiday cards or something like that. Like I type something out and it's very time intensive, right? I can only do so many of those um, in a day. Or you'd kind of just cheat and you do a one size fits all. It's a little bit like I thought email in the past was a little bit like you design a billboard and then you just send it to people's inboxes. And that was kind of it. Those were your options. And when I asked folks like, well, why are you doing that? You know, how could we make this better? And obviously I, I tried to make non billboard style emails too. The problem I kept running into was 
it was hard to get data. And then like, you know, you have to do almost a little bit of programming into an email to make it dynamic. People are like, I don't know how to think about that, right? You know, we think about programming as conditional statements and stuff like that. It just wasn't obvious to people. They had the idea. They just weren't sure how to do it. And so that was kind of the status quo. Like either you'd hire a whole bunch of people to handwrite things, you do the one size fits all thing, or there were a couple of really enterprising folks that were like, okay, I'm going to try to build my own system. And they'd show me these systems they'd hack together where they'd push data into spreadsheets and every so often they'd upload it into their email marketing, you know, whatever they were using. And so we were like, we're just going to change all that. We started from like, what are the use cases? What are some of the experiences? If you were talking to one of your customers, what would you say to them? And they said, well, I have all these personal ideas. We work with a lot of retailers and apparel brands. A lot of them are like, I know somebody's style after they bought from me a few times. Like I'm wearing this sweatshirt or we work with like a lot of like health and beauty cosmetics companies. And they're like, I really know what somebody likes. Can I use that to make, you know, the messaging that I'm sending folks more personal? And uh, we said, yeah, that's what we're going to try to help you do. I love how you've talked about Clavio being built for creators to own their destinies in their own businesses. Tell us a little bit more about like what that vision was and what you feel like you've realized already. My mom's side of my family basically is a whole bunch of entrepreneurs. They all started a business together. Um, and it's been in, their, been in their family for a few generations. And I, I love that. And it's like, it was a little weird for tech, but it was like a business that had lasted for generations. It was profitable. Um, and I was like, wow, that's a durable, that's a real thing. Yeah, wow. And I was just thinking, it's like, how do we have more people try to do that? That's really like the, my favorite parts of Clavio are talking to our customers, you know, the brands that we, you know, that are using our software and hearing how, you know, their, their path to one fight first financial independence. Cause a lot of folks are like, look, I want this to be a full-time thing, but how do I go from nights and weekends to all the time? And then two is feeling like then they, they all of a sudden, once they have financial independence, they can be way more creative. They can think about whole new products. They can hire other people to like start to debate and discuss ideas with. They can scale, right? You know, across countries around the world. We focused on like, how do we make more businesses financially um, successful and independent? And the, the big thing for us was when you start a business, there's always this question of like, okay, well, every business needs to make money. Where's that money coming from? And what we found was, especially in retail, a lot of online retailers, they were hugely dependent on Google and Facebook. And like to a point where it almost didn't matter how much advertising cost. Advertising was like the entire way they found customers. There was just nothing else. So if, if basically if the ad rates went up, they just either went out of business or they just stopped growing. And we said, this is crazy. Like you've built these brands that people really love. Why don't you just connect with them directly? Why don't you, you know, own those relationships with folks outright? And they said, well, yeah, of course I want to do that. I mean, we do email. And so I'd ask them questions like, okay, well, how much revenue do you get from email? And they'd say, oh, we have no idea. We just send emails once a week because that's well, that's what you do. And I said, okay, we need to change all that. We basically measure our success on like how many creators we can help, you know, how many are, people are using Clavio, and then how basically successful they're being. How many, for instance, sales do they drive? Talk about what the product looked like a few years back when you were just talking about email and connecting directly with your customers and talk about the, what the product is capable of doing today. So we bootstrapped our business, which meant that, you know, hey, we didn't take any outside money until we were already profitable. Um, which by the way, I would say for any entrepreneur, you should try your hardest to do that because boy, I'll tell you, like it really changes the dynamics. Like all of a sudden you're not working against a clock. It gives you more freedom to like think and try things. But in the early days, like we, we knew that we had to get customers right away because we knew it's like, okay, we need a revenue stream because otherwise, you know, we're never gonna be able to hire anybody. Eventually we'll like, we'll, we'll give up. And so for us, the product started out actually just as this basically kind of database, a way to put all your data in one place and ask questions about it. And so that's what people would do. And they would just run all these different kinds of questions, explore who their customers were, and then they'd export that data out. 
So that was the first product that we sold. Uh, and then, you know, we were deep into, we really believed in getting close to customers and asking them what were the adjacent problems they were solving? What was next? And I remember um, I was, you know, out for a customer visit and I was talking to this guy and I said, hey, where are you? You're, do you're doing all these like great analytics inside of Klaviyo, but what are you doing with all that data? And he said, oh, well, I export it and then I take it and I put it into MailChimp. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. He said, yeah, actually, by the way, you could speed up my job a lot if you would just build me a connector so I could put the data right in. And we said, well, that's kind of silly. I mean, we're pretty ambitious people. We're like, well, that's silly. Why don't we just build you a MailChimp? I mean, that, then you don't have to move any data around. And so that actually became our second product. That was probably about a year or two in. And instantly we knew that we had a hit, right? Because folks said, okay, this really makes a lot of sense. Clavio can be the place I store all my data, be the place I do all my email marketing. And then over there, over time, we've added other channels. So we've added text messaging, we've added some integrations where you can actually now take back some of the control from the advertising network. So you build your audiences inside of Clavio and just use them as a display network. Over time, it's become more and more about like, how do we take every single one of those little customer interactions and either can Clavio help you personalize and automate it, or at least set you and your team up where you've got all the information. So you have to go hunting through different dashboards to figure things out. Andrew, one of the things that I want people listening to learn from you was you were so thoughtful about your go-to-market because you you had to be, you, you had no venture funding early. Tell us a little bit about go-to-market and what you learned. You know, one of the strategies we had was everybody else was a really horizontal product. They were, hey, we're for any any use case, like we're kind of, you know, we're, we're for every person. And I remember talking with my co-founder and he had this great idea that he was like, you know, I think if they're kind of zigging that way, we should zag and we should say, hey, let's start with one vertical and go vertical by vertical. And we knew that would make a big difference because if you think about it, Clavio is all about well, personalization. It's all it's all use case specific, like what 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 needs to be personalized. So we started with retail and I remember there was this big decision of on the homepage for a long time. I was like, no, 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 Ed, we can't put the word e-commerce or retail on there. I don't want to scare everybody else off but he totally made the right decision, convinced me that he's like, Andrew, let's just go all in on this, you know, for a few years, we'll build up our brand there and then we can go after other verticals. So that, that, was, a, that was a big decision. So that helped a lot. The other thing that worked really well for us was we realized there were other software companies that basically we had very symbiotic relationships with. So in the world of uh, retail and e-commerce, there's all these like point of sale systems and, you know, e-commerce systems and we realized all of them, they just wanted to drive more revenue through their systems. They're like, look, every time somebody comes and buys, either in a store or online, that's how we add value. And so we said, great, well, hey, we actually can partner up on then because we're a revenue engine for your customers. And so that really helped. So with, you know, with folks like Shopify, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, Magento, we went to all those organizations and said, hey, maybe we should just partner up. And because we have the same goals for our customers, um, that was actually really easy. So that's another thing I'm a big fan of is if there's opportunities to kind of partner up with others where you have a shared mission, um, that, that, could be, that could be a really efficient way to get customers in the early days. Were there any things that you in the rear view mirror could teach people that you guys got wrong? My, my advice for most founders is really like two things. One, think through like, you know, think from first principles about what your quote unquote strategy is. Like, what do you believe to be true about the world that you can leverage? And then two is just be super iterate, be very fast. Like the faster you can you iterate, the better. So a lot of our big mistakes were just moving too slowly. One of the big ones that I wish we'd done is oftentimes, you know, in startups we talk about like fake it till you make it, which I think is a great strategy, like, you know, do things that won't scale. 
one of the things I wish we'd done is we figured out pretty early on that, for instance, this working with other software companies was a good strategy, but we didn't really systematize it fast enough. And I think there was an opportunity for us to step back and realize, you know, we had one or two of these kind of partnerships that were really working, but how could we think bigger and try to get it to say 10 or 20 really quickly? So I think that's maybe one of the things I would have done a little differently. Sometimes you get so caught up in the day over day, you miss some of the opportunities to, it doesn't even really cost more, but just to scale faster, really by trying to templatize some of the things that you're doing. I think for founders, it's sometimes hard to know when it's like, when do I have like sort of enough product market fit that I can try to scale this strategy that I have versus when do I have to need, you know, kind of keep testing it. And at least in our case, I think we could have said, nope, this is working. Let's try to do two, three, five, 10 X more of it um, and just do that quicker. Teach us a little bit of what you learned on the fundraising side because you were so focused on getting to profitability, being empowered to then choose capital. Um, what are your lessons on fundraising? I mean, this may sound kind of obvious, but I, I kind of think of like when you go fundraising, there's really, you're either doing one or two things. Either one, you're selling a story because it's not done yet. It's still like, it's a vision. It's a thing that hasn't been built and you're trying to convince somebody that one, you can do it and it's worth it. Or two is you're basically sharing progress. You're sharing like, here's what I've done so far. For Clavio, I, I remember, you know, when we were, you know, our first summer working on Clavio. At the time, there were all these venture capital firms that had these kind of, you could do a summer internship where what that meant was they would give you some like desk space, which we needed because we had like, otherwise we we're working out of our apartments. And critical to us, they would give you like, I think it was like 10 or $20,000 in capital. And like for us, that was like a ton of money. And so I remember we applied to a bunch of these programs. We didn't get into any of them. And every time the application was the same, they wanted, you know, basically a five minute video. And, you know, my co-founder, I was always like, well, I'm not going to put, you know, 20 hours into producing this thing. Like we're going to record it for like 20 minutes. We'll take two or three cuts and then we're going to send it over. But clearly that wasn't like enough polish. So when it came to fundraising, I felt like a lot of folks, they had to go pitch this vision. And it was very much down to, did somebody agree with the way you looked at the world? And I decided like, well, I kind of, I don't want to have to rely on whether somebody believes in what we think. And by the way, they're not domain experts. We've been studying this stuff like crazy for now, for months or years with customers. So I said, no, let's not do it that way. Let's just put up or shut up. We're going to show them numbers that are so good. They can't look away. And so when we did our first fundraising round, I remember I, we were at about a million dollars a year and probably had, you know, a thousand customers. And I uh, went to a CTO I'd worked with in the past. And I said, hey, you know, we were in Boston. I said, who in Boston, you know, do you think is really good, you know, on kind of like the early stage investing side? And he gave me a couple of names. And basically, we put together like a six-page deck and just demoed our product and said, look, this is what we've got. And, you know, one of the slides was just a million dollars and a thousand customers. I said, look, if that's not impressive to you, then like, we'll just keep growing. But of course, everybody said, no, no, this is awesome. This is the traction that like we're looking for. And then... Once it was that, then I think everybody's minds were kind of opened up and then we could talk about the, okay, this is what we're trying to build towards, talk about our big dreams. My advice to founders is like raise as little as you need and prove, you know, some traction with customers, prove there's a there there. And then honestly, once you do that, like fundraising for the rest of your life gets a lot easier. You know, once after we raised our seed round, every other round we did after that, I mean, one, it didn't take as long. And two, we got to pick really great people that we wanted to work with, which I think just made us go even faster. Fast forward 10 years knowing that you get to dream and like razor focus on what the future of digital customer relationships will look like, what do you think will happen? What are the predictions you have? I think it's going to be possible in our lifetimes. I think it's going to happen sooner than we think. So 10 years might be a good bet. I think, you know, like you and I, we're going to be able to basically plug ourselves in. I don't know if it'll be kind of a neural link or we'll have to like, you know, we'll have to type it on a keyboard, but we're basically going to be able to tell software, hey, this is how I, Andrew, want to 
show up to the world, right? Or how I Alexa, or here's how I want my brand to be reflected. And that software, it's automatically gonna figure out, it's gonna, it's gonna replicate you, it's gonna scale you in your authentic self and put you in front of customers in however, whatever medium or format they think is, you know, is, is that they're most interested in. So we obviously, we started with email and then text messaging, because frankly, it's pretty easy. It's mostly text and images, so that's more straightforward. If you look at some of the stuff that's happening now with, say, generative AI, I mean, we're not far off from, in the future, being able to say, hey, I could kind of say, you know, I want to help maybe advise some entrepreneur, but I, I can't physically make the time for it. But I can basically send a part of myself that maybe it looks like we're just show up on a Zoom. And you can ask me questions and learn from all of my experiences and have a conversation that's totally custom to you and the things that you care about. And that's something I find like super fascinating. And so the question is, is like a lot of folks, it's like, honestly, they just want to learn. They're curious about something and it's actually, it's not my time they need. It's just some information that I have and they want to have a bit of a dialogue. I think we're going to be able to do that. So we're in the very early stages. You know, you could think of like email, text, the internet, like, or, you know, the web is like kind of the basics. I think we'll get to where audio and video, we can also generate really authentic versions of ourselves there. And suddenly it'll be, it's like, if you have a brand uh, and you want to show up to consumers, you can meet them however they want to be met. And it's going to feel like it's really you. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Andrew, I'm going to transition a little bit to you. If you go back and you already mentioned that you have you know, family members that are entrepreneurs, can you name one thing that your parents did that stands out that you think made you special and set you up for the success you've had today? I don't know if it was something specifically that they did, but both my parents worked, you know, when I was growing up. And what that meant was, you know, my siblings and I, we had a lot of free time. Now I have a couple of young kids and they're not quite old enough to, you know, keep track of themselves. But one of the things that was awesome was it was just, you know, our afternoons and a lot of our weekends were just our own. It wasn't super structured. It was just, you know, go out, play with friends, go explore, do whatever you get passionate about. So I think having that like free space really matters. And then probably the second one is, you know, I would get excited about something, right? I was big into sports. Uh, I was obviously like a pretty big nerd. So I was uh, big into video games and uh, a lot of school stuff. They just encouraged me to just kind of go deep and let the like, you know, unconstrained go as hard towards some goal that I had um, as I wanted. Like when I was in middle school, I got really big into playing tennis and my parents were like, okay, well, like, you know, if you want to play, then you better, you know, better go play a bunch of like tournaments and like, you know, see if you're any good. So they were committed to just, you know, saying like, all right, like we will drive all over Massachusetts just so you get, can get more experience, more reps and sets. So I think that like letting people just get pulled in the direction that they want to go and then really encouraging them to go hard towards whatever that current passion is, is great. And I'm a big believer that, you know, it's not so much like all of our, you know, my, my life has been a lot of being interested in a lot of different stuff. Like I very much consider myself like a polygot, you know, whatever you're passionate about in the moment, you just want to go deep on it. And I think that's a skill that I learned, um, 
you know, a little bit from that like kind of environment. You and I overlapped, uh, as I mentioned, uh, at Harvard for a few years, but right when like Mark Zuckerberg was obviously build, building Facebook. In your mind, how do you think that influenced you? Just kind of watching that wave of the internet kind of truly like pour over us. How did you think that changed your trajectory or did it? It may not have. It was a really fun time because you basically got to see a product get built from scratch. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated. So first I should say is I was one of the late adopters of Facebook on campus. So I remember being a holdout. So I think my ID number was like 2000 or something, right? I think I was like 150. I was, I was an early adopter. <laughs> yeah, you were an early adopter. But what was cool was, I mean, we saw this product and basically how iterative it was. You know, I think a lot of people think of Facebook today and there's a news feed. You know, a lot of people don't remember that at the time it was, it was just a bunch of profile pages and all you had was maybe your picture. And so what was awesome was seeing how iterative the development was. And obviously I think Facebook launched, you know, in the first year that I was there. And so you got to see it over the course of four years and you saw how far and how fast the product went. And I definitely, when we started Clavio, that was a big inspiration for, okay, be super iterative. It's okay, whatever your version one is, like it's not gonna matter because it's really about how you get to version, you know, N plus one. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really well said, which is we did get to watch each piece of the product be built and understand how much it compelled you to stay on and continue to add more of your own data. What are the tips and tricks that you have adopted? Because you've had to scale through all this. You were really young when you started the business that you've adopted to one, be better at being a leader and two, to stay sane through it all. Because harnessing a business with you know 1,500 employees and growing and significant revenue and thousands of customers is not easy. So what have you gotten better at and what do you do to stay sane? Two things. First is, I mean, it, it really does take a lot of village. And I mean that like a line that we have at Clavio is, you know, my co-founder and I, Ed, we got the business to half a million revenue before we hired our first uh, employer, our first other, uh, our, our third Clavio. So uh, I tell folks all the time, like, look, like I'm happy to take credit for the first, you know, 500K that we made. But now that we're right, hundreds of millions in revenue, like the 99.999%, that's all of us together. So it, it, I think reminding yourself that it, like it takes both folks that you work with directly and then everybody has their own support system. So for myself, you know, it's been, you know, it's been my parents, my siblings, my extended family, my wife. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, I think one of the benefits of actually us building in uh, Boston was not everybody's just kind of locked in on tech. You can have a conversation with other folks about other things. I remember lots of, you know, Thanksgivings and holidays and Christmases where I'd talk to my aunts and uncles and they'd be like, so how's that project you're, you're working on going? And I still get those questions. And it's great because it's it, 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 people are very proud and, uh, you know, they, they've been very supportive, but they're also just, they realize what Clavio is not everything. And I think that breeds a lot of that humility. So I think that's one that really helps. Um, it's just having, you know, a great set of folks to work with that honestly, like just kind of sh shoulder some of that like mental load, right? Or tell you that don't take yourself too seriously. That's something that my mom tells me all the time. Um, the second thing, uh, honestly, is just having huge dreams. When you're a founder and you're just starting, it's easier. If you're passionate about something and you're so early, you know, you know, it's going to take such a long time. You don't really stress that much because you know that like your first version of your product, it's not going to be that great. You know, you're, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not going to impress every customer. You only have a couple, but as you grow, I think we start to get this attachment to what we built and we sort of, we get more defensive. So something that I try to remind myself is, Hey, if we really want to build software and technology that lets anybody scale themselves and like, really like just blow themselves up, be themselves at internet scale. 
That is really hard, and we are not close to that today. And so everything we've done, while it's awesome, it's still like 1% of where we want to go. And when you take that kind of 1% done, or Amazon talks about day one culture, all of a sudden, you know, the decisions you make, they don't feel as monumental because you're still in that kind of early, early stages. Uh, so I think just reminding, you know, ha- like every time we achieve some milestone at Clavio, I mentally am like, okay, how do we make the goal a lot bigger? My last question before we move to our quick fire round and wrap this up is, as a founder, is there something you hold as sacred? Oh, yeah. I mean, for, it, for us, it's, it's the core thesis of Clavio. It's all about ownership. It's about having that independence. I've got a strong independent streak. And it's something, honestly, it's probably one of my biggest learnings as a founder, as a leader growing up is just getting more comfortable giving away my Legos, right? People that you have really earned and you've built trust with. But for us collectively, I think that's what it's all about is we want to be in control so that we can run our own experiments and try to build the things that we care about. And when I talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs, I think that's the number one thing that drives them too. It's why they don't want a job at, you know, big XYZ company. They want a chance to try to build something, create something that doesn't exist, fix a problem that they see in the world. And it's that chance to do it and feeling like they have control and they have ownership and agency over whether or not they're successful. That is hugely motivating to them. And it's definitely, it's what drives me. I love that. Okay, Andrew, we're going to go to a quick fire round. First thing that comes to your mind, just give me the answer. What is the interview question that you like to use to get to know if someone is high slope or not, which is one of your favorite words? Oh, yeah. So high slope for us means, are you a really good learner? So my question is always like, what are you learning right now? You know, I think anybody that's a great learner is, I mean, they're just constantly learning about something. So I'll sometimes phrase it as, what are you nerding out on? And it doesn't matter whether it's something that's working for your job. It's something personally for myself right now. uh, I'm thinking about like getting ready to run the Boston Marathon next year. So I'm nerding out a little bit on like how to train up for that. So I just, I like to ask people, it's like just off the cuff, like, you know, what, what book is in your bag or what's something that you're just going deep on? I love that. Um, what is a quote you live by or a quote that you really love? Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog, about Nike. Uh, there's a quote in there where he tells a story about walking down the street and seeing some somebody wearing, you know, a pair of Reeboks. And he just he, he comes back and he tells his team, I just got upset. Like, everybody in the world should be wearing Nikes. And so that line from Phil Knight of like, we want to, everybody should be wearing our shoes Something I tell our team all the time is like, every business should be wearing Clavios, and we're not done until that's true. What's your biggest pinch me moment to date at Clavio where you like maybe came home to your family and were like, I can't believe we pulled that off. What was it? So my favorite was, you know, there was a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018. We worked really hard. We'd grown a lot that year and we were expecting like huge demand over the Thanksgiving weekend. And I just remember like our engineering team, our customer support team, they'd worked so hard to prepare customers to get everything ready. Everybody was so nervous on pins and needles. And I remember Monday at, you know, I think it was at like at five or six o'clock, we sort of declared victory. I think we had like the best party we'd ever had at Clavio. I mean, people, it felt like, you know, we'd won the Super Bowl. And actually it was, so, <laughs> we felt so good about it. Uh, I think in a moment of weakness, we're normally very frugal. Uh, somebody came to me and said, we should, we should really blow it out. We should have a big celebration for this. And so we rented a plane and flew everybody at Clavio uh, to go watch the Patriots, I think down in Miami. And so anyways, that was like the craziest thing that we'd ever done, but it totally felt worth it because people had worked so many months to get through that weekend. That is uh, a good confession. I love it. Last thing, um, I want to fast forward two years from today. Do you think people end up working in offices or is this remote thing here to stay? So it's super interesting. When 
my co-founder and I were starting, we lived like kind of far away from each other where it was like kind of awkward to commute. And so we actually saw each other probably somewhere between some weeks it was every day and some weeks it was like one or two days, you know, and then as clear to scale, obviously we were very in office and then obviously we've gone remote, you know, um, during COVID, I think it probably comes back to something in between. The thing that I think a lot about is what is the experience that somebody that's say just graduated from school, so high school or college, and you're say you're going to go get your first job, what's the experience that they want? And what I I keep asking, you know, I've I've actually got a younger sister who's about to start college, and I ask her and I ask folks at Clavio that have you know younger kids, and for all of them they're like, well, I'd probably advise you know my kid to like go be near you know the people they're going to work with because more they'll rub off they'll you know they'll learn more. So my sense is that's what folks that are going to be joining companies will want. And the question is, is like, I think the companies that are going to win are going to find a way to provide that. So there's still some sorting that we're doing of like how to do that. I don't think it's that's necessarily five days a week, but that sense of community, if folks get really passionate about what they're working on, you want to feel a little bit like you're in the trenches with other folks. So we'll see. It's going to be a big experiment. It's one of the things I'm excited about. But um, I do think I think a lot about that, like that experience of for somebody that really wants to learn, what's the best possible environment for them? I love that. Andrew, first of all, um, I wish we had many, many more hours to keep going. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Clavio, you can head to Clavio.com. And you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Andrew, we're rooting for you. Thank you so much for joining today. It's an honor. Awesome. Thanks for having me.